invite you to turn back to Jeremiah 31 and title the message, God's Love Note. Let's just unite our heart and we word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's precious word tonight. Father in heaven, we bless thee again for the opportunity to open up the scriptures of truth. We thank the Lord we have them in our mother tongue. We bless the Lord for help given in the reading of them. And oh God, we know that they are forever settled in heaven. And all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's all God breathed. It's all profitable. Lord, we pray that I would, Lord, take away every distracting thought. Take away the things that would distract us from this week, maybe. And we pray that I would close us in and just with this great truth. And I would, Lord, shut us in with thyself tonight. Thy word would run and be glorified. O to that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Lord, with no desire just to go through the motions. With no desire just to bring the ideology of men. But Lord, we have a desire to rightly divide thy truth. To preach thy word. For Lord, we thank thee that thou hast said through the foolishness of preaching. Thou hast ordained that souls will believe. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We pray, Lord, that thou would come and do thine own work even this very night. Take thy word, Lord, apply it by thy spirit to individual hearts. Oh, Lord, we know that as our faces differ, so do our needs. There's a child of God tonight, and they'll need a little word in season. Lord, maybe there's another, and they need a word in salvation. Oh, God, speak it as thou dost see fit. Lord, hide us behind the cross. None may be seen, save Jesus only. Hear and answer our prayer. Abide with us. Do us good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Often, the Savior's heart is revealed to us in the scriptures of truth. When he saw, for example, the multitudes, when he looked over them, he likened them to sheep having no shepherd. And we read that he had compassion on them. I don't know what you think when you see the great multitudes. Maybe in stadium, watching some sport. I wonder, is there anything of the heart of Christ that would look upon them as sheep having no shepherd? That's how the Lord considered the multitudes. When he stood over Jerusalem, we read that he wept because he considered how they had killed the prophets. And how they had, they had stoned them that were sent unto them. And he would have gathered them unto himself just the way a hen would gather her chicks unto her. But they would not. In the house of Bethany, his heart went out to them as the death angel had called. And as he went to them, not only did his heart go out because he loved Lazarus and he loved Martha and he loved Mary, it was a home where he would often have been found, but primarily we read that he groaned and he wept as he stood in that graveyard and it was because of the effects of sin before his very eyes. For sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When we consider the love of the Savior that moved him to say such things, and to perform such miracles as he did. 
among the people. And how contrasting is that to which the world calls love today? It's mostly that which is sensual, which is lustful, which is of the flesh. The stuff that fills tabloid newspapers. The stuff that has to be incorporated within any narrative on the television programs so that audiences and the figures of audiences will be attracted. And it is portrayed as something which can be fleeting and which doesn't really have to mean too much. And what our young people are being saturated with day and daily is a dose of having multiple partners, a promiscuous lifestyle, having children outside the bond of marriage. And then we wonder why there's the breakdown in morals in our society today. How far removed all of that is from the love of God and how it is spoken about in His Word. When we consider the love of God, then we're, by admission tonight, we're on unfathomable waters. Here's something that we can never expect to exhaust or to get to the bottom of. It truly is that which passes all understanding. And yet, my friend, it is needful that we consider such a thought. Because the Word of God reminds us that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Oh, the terrors of the law must be preached. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we persuade you because there's the wrath and there's the judgment of God that is to come. But how often does it cause the hardest heart just to become harder? But I wonder when you're faced with the love of God, will your heart be softened? But what my text brings before you tonight is God's love note to your soul. As you'll find it in the words of verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Want you to know the particulars of God's love. The God who is speaking these words was one who had spoken to them in the past, who had showed them in the past on numerous occasions his love. Was it not the Lord that had delivered the nation out of the house of bondage in Egypt? was to bring them into that land of milk and honey, that land that they hadn't dug the wells, they hadn't planted the vineyards, they didn't build the houses, all those things had been done for them. It was God who caused them to look to the brazen serpent, that brazen serpent that was lifted upon the pole in the camp, so that they might be healed from the serpent's bite, they might live. It was God who drove out the Canaanites before them. It was God who gave them prophets to instruct them, who gave them a king after their own, his own heart to sit upon the throne of the land. And what were these but occasions of God's love? When we think of the love of God then, it has particular characteristics. It's a love which is unconditional. It says in the text of Scripture that I've drawn your attention to tonight, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. There are two persons in view there. 
There is, of course, the high and holy and lofty one whom the heaven of heavens cannot contain. And then there is, as one divine of old has described, the good-for-nothing creature up to forget the Lord and to live as if there is no God. Two persons. And what is true of many a soul was likewise the case with Israel of old, and yet the Lord God comes and he says, Yea, I have loved thee. There were no conditions attached in order that he might love them. Indeed, everything was against the God of heaven ever loving such a people. And you know, Moses reminds them of this as they came to the borders of that land of Canaan. If you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, you will see it for yourself. They have traversed the wilderness for 40 years. They're about to cross over. They're about to possess the land that God had promised to them. And Moses stops them and he reminds them of why that was so. Look at the words of verse 6, Deuteronomy 7. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, had the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He loved them because he loved them. Nothing special about them. They weren't a special people. They weren't great in number. There was nothing in them that warranted the love and the mercy of God. He loved them because he loved them as men and women. That simply is unconditional. No conditions. And dear soul, so it is when we bring it down to the individual. When God chose a people to give us a gift unto Christ in eternity past, he did not look down the corridors of time. He did not see something good in any one of his people. Romans 3 reminds us, of course, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. These hearts of ours by birth and by nature do not contain, they do not conceal some good whereby God might be warranted to show compassion upon us. They're hearts that are totally and absolutely depraved. They're hearts that are wicked in God's sight by birth, by nature, and by practice. And yet God has set a love, His love, upon a lost and a sinful people. And He loved His people because He loved them. What unconditional love that really is. But you know, consider also that God's love is undeserving. Israel didn't deserve the least of God's mercies, never mind his love. They were a people who had murmured. They were a people who had turned their back against God and his servants. They lived as if there was no God. And yet the mystery of it all was that God ever set his love upon so undeserving a people. And what was true collectively is true on an individual basis. And I believe we see even a little thread of that in the course of our text. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. If you look at your margin, if you have a marginal Bible, you will see that it can be rendered, Yea, 
of uh, Lord hath appeared of old unto me, and it can be rendered from afar. From afar. And you know that is where sinful man is in relation to a holy God. He's afar off. He's like the prodigal in the far country. The Apostle Paul was to bring out the very same truth to the now repentant sinners in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And he goes on to speak of how they once were afar off have now been made nigh by the precious blood of Christ. The mercy of God was shown toward us when we were dead in trespasses and in sins. And that love of God was so undeserving. For like Israel, every soul born into this world is a rebel to God. Our backs are toward Him. Our faces are toward sin, toward evil, and toward a lost eternity in hell. That which each of us deserve is the wrath and the condemnation of God. And if we were damned for all eternity, God would still be just. For so, and so for any who are to experience the love of God, they have to realize it is undeserving. You don't deserve the love of God. I don't deserve the love of God, men and women. I want you to get understand that. You might be the best neighbor in your community. You might be the best husband in, your, in the whole land, as it were, to your wife and vice versa. But you don't deserve God's love. Because the problem is the heart, you see. And you'll consider also with me that the love of God here is unchanging. Who is it that said these words to Israel? It's the Lord. You'll notice in the authorized version, it's small capitals. It's Jehovah. The God who met with Moses in the burning bush. The God who revealed himself as the great I Am. And the great I am is the same yesterday and today and praise God forever. He could say, I am Jehovah, I change not. He doesn't change in his character. He still is a sin-hating God. He doesn't change in his attributes. He will always be all-powerful, all-knowing, the all-present God. And the love of God is also unchanging. For that which we are considering, it stretches back into eternity past, and it will stretch into the future, into eternity as well. The love of God is something that is older than this very world is. You see, he says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And it remains forever the same and will always be so. When God set his love upon a people in eternity past, before this world was brought into being, he loved them the same. He loves them the same to this day and will do so for all eternity. It's not some thought. Now tell me tonight, have you experienced that love of God? Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. You see, there are the particulars, but there's also the pledge of God's love. Inasmuch as these words are beyond our comprehension. And I appreciate our finite understanding struggles merely to grasp the depth of meaning here. Yet we must remember that they have not been spoken by a mere man. They haven't even been spoken by the best of a prophet. 
And Jeremiah was a good man. He was a good prophet. He's often described as the weeping prophet. But they are words that expresses the heart and the love of God toward his people because God has sent this love note to your heart tonight. And when he states, Yea, I've loved thee with an everlasting love, he's making a declaration. He's making a pledge to each one. And if you come out of my text just for a moment, you will understand the basis of such a pledge. It was, first of all, seen in a covenant. Look at the words of verse 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I, the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. They shall be my people. He's speaking of a covenant. That same covenant is spoken of, if you turn over to verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. God himself has pledged himself to his people by a covenant. An everlasting covenant ordered in all things. The word covenant simply means, if you like, a promise. And if God has made such a covenant, made such a promise, then his love must indeed be an everlasting love. You know why? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. He cannot lie. We bring before you one tonight who never goes back on his word, who never breaks his promises. Even the boys and girls, young people will understand their best friend of saying, I'll be your best friend forever. I'll never be annoyed with you and all of this. And then something happens. And that promise is broken. But God doesn't go back on his word. And dear soul, that means that God loves his people with an everlasting love. That he has embodied it within his covenant, which also is everlasting. And that love of God is seen in the covenant of grace, whereby precious souls can be saved, precious souls uh, uh, can be brought into union uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, all because of God's wonderful plan of redemption that was wrought out at the cross called Calvary. You see also this pledge of God's love is noted by a relationship. That relationship is spoken of at the start of verse 9. They shall come with weeping and with supplications while I lead them. And I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. Listen to this. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. God says of Israel that he is a father to them. That means an unbreakable relationship which cannot be severed. Or oh, the earthly son may break his father's heart. Aye, and a daughter too. But no matter how much the son or daughter may sin, no matter how much shame they will bring upon themselves and their father and upon the father's house, they're yet the father's son. There's no getting out of that relationship. And that means that there's a love for the Son which is special and which cannot be broken. You just think of it uh, illustrated for us in the scriptures of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. And he went away from the Father's house with his inheritance and he went into that far country. And there he spent all his living, all his inheritance on riotous living. And he brought shame on himself, even to the point that he was feeding among the very swine. He brought shame on his father. He brought shame upon the testimony of the father's house. But yet the father still loved his son. 
And when the boy in the depths came to himself, and he, he turned toward home, we read that yet a great way off his father saw him, and he had compassion on him, and he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. He still was a son. He still was in that unbreakable relationship. And his love toward him was that of a father towards his boy. And men and women, Luke 15, it's all about the sinner. It's not about a backslider. There's three parts to one parable in it. The lost coin, and the lost sheep, and the lost son. And there's great rejoicing when the son that was lost is found. He's still in that relationship, you see. He came back to the father's house. And if we lift that up into the spiritual, then so is the relationship that God has with those whom he has set his love upon in eternity past. He loved them as a father. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. A love which is enough for his grace to reach down to the pit of mire and the pit of sin where you are. A love which is enough for you to be regenerated by the power of his spirit and to be adopted into his family. It's a love enough for you to be able to call God our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Not everybody can say that prayer. It may be recited wholesome in many a church, but not everybody can say that prayer because it says, Our Father. It speaks of relationship. Are you in that relationship tonight? Have you this experience of God's grace whereby you've been brought from death unto life, from the power of Satan unto God? For remember that, dear unsaved loved one, that you have a father tonight. And the Lord teaches us in John chapter 8, in the words of verse 44, who that father is. For he says, ye are of the father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Either your father tonight, spiritually speaking, is the devil. That's why you can tell lies. That's why you can have wicked thoughts. That's why you can have lust in the heart because you're of your father. Or else... You've been saved. You've experienced the love of God personally to your soul. And your father tonight spiritually is God the Father in heaven. That's one or the other. Bless his name, the love of God. If you're still under the devil tonight, is able to set you the prisoner free. I wonder will you seek him. You'll notice the pledge of God's love is on the basis of redemption. Look at the words of verse 11. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Is there a soul that would doubt the love of God? Is there one who doubts that his love is everlasting as he says? Then consider how the Lord was to redeem his people. It was through the blood of the sacrificial lamb. That lamb was taken on the night of the Passover. That lamb was set apart from the flock. 
It was examined for those days beforehand, before it was slain, its blood collected, and that blood was applied by the hyssop branch on the doors of their homes, and they were sheltering neath that precious blood that was shed. That blood set them free. That blood preserved them, protected them from the death angel that was coming at midnight. For God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so it is, dear loved one, in God's plan of salvation. The everlasting love of God for the sinner is pledged because of the Redeemer, because of the one who paid the ransom so that he might set his people free from the chains that bind. And you consider for a moment the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him you have one who loved his people with an everlasting love. You might turn to John 13. John 13 is that that passage just before that upper room discourse that he had with his disciples. Judas in John 13 goes out from among them to do the work of the devil. But look at the first verse. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. You see, there were times that his hour hadn't come. There were times that they sought to take him, but they couldn't because his hour wasn't come. But now it's different. He knew that the hour had come when he should depart out of the world. He was only going to depart out of the world by one way, and that was by crucifixion. It says, having loved his own which were in the world... He loved them unto the end. Even though it meant going to the cross, even though it meant ascending Golgotha, he loved them unto the end. He set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. And he showed his love in a very practical fashion just in the verses that follow there because he drew aside the garments and he washed the disciples' feet, a most menial task of the servant. He is at those hands which were riven by the nails. He is at that side that was riven by the spear that was thrust in and so it was to reach his heart that the blood and the water flowed out of it. Why does Christ have the names of his people engraven upon his hands? It's because he loves them with an everlasting love. Why does he have our names upon his heart the way the Old Testament priest had the stones upon the heart of the tribes of Israel? It's because he loves them with an everlasting love. The Savior who is in glory tonight was to purchase redemption of his people by his own death on the cross. And God's people can say, we love him because he first loved us. Can we say that this evening? If you can't say that tonight, then how stronger could the pledge of love, God's love to your heart be than that which we find in this verse? Come to Christ and you will be assured on the basis of the covenant, on the basis of a relationship with your heavenly Father and a Savior who redeemed you, that you, you are loved with an everlasting love. 
There's not a wee thought that I want to leave with you. That's the proof of God's love. I'm sure you've often heard it said, Actions speak louder than words. I was just thinking of the young people there when I was about to say that. When I was a young person, I heard all them sins in the house. And I said, what do them things mean? But you know, young people, when you get older, you realize what some of them mean. The old sayings. And there's a lot of them. But actions speak louder than words. And when it comes to expressing your love for your wife or husband, it's not mere words that do it but it's actions that back up the words. It's maybe washing the dishes. It's maybe throwing the old dirty clothes in the laundry instead of all around the room. I see some of them smiling. It's not maybe buying a present for the anniversary or the birthday. But it's just a wee card to tell you I love you. You see, actions speak louder than words. And for the proof of God's love, then we cannot look any further than the coming of Christ to this world. That well-known verse says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, you put your name in there. Doesn't say the rich man, you see. Doesn't say the, the poor man. Says whosoever. Believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or indeed we have the words of 1 John chapter 4. You want a good definition of love. Here it is. 1 John 4 verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God. You don't love God tonight, sinner. Oh, you can say that, but you don't really love God. If you love God tonight, you'd give your heart and your life and your soul to Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. Big word simply means to take away God's wrath from you. Instead, it was laid in Christ. The Lord Jesus was given by the Father and in obedience and in love for his people, he came to this earth, leaving behind the glory he had with the Father in heaven. And he came so that he might seek and save that which was lost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It wasn't the nails that held him onto that old rugged tree. It was love for the souls of his people. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he despised the shame. He came so that he might finish the work that the Father gave him to do. And that his people might all one day be with him in glory. And all the proof that you need, dear loved one, that God's love is real, that God's love is everlasting, is the giving of Christ as the only Savior of a lost and a dying world. 
And then you'll note it from our text, another proof. Not only the giving of Christ, but also the call of God. Because God has loved his chosen with an everlasting love. Therefore he says, Yea, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, on account of that, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That's contrary to modern evangelism. Modern evangelism in trying to reach the sinners and to bring them to Christ. Often that soul, that unsaved loved one, is forced or coerced or pushed. And how in the emotions of many a meeting that has happened, and when all is said and done, there are no signs of grace that have been appearing or have been done in the heart, and by their fruits ye shall know them. And the fruit's not there. And all that they have to show for it is a false profession and a harder heart that is harder to be reached again. I'll never coerce, I'll never force a soul to seek Christ for salvation. Oh yes, I want to see souls saved, but I don't want false professions. God knows my heart. I'm not into the numbers. Just to be able to say, oh, there's so many come out tonight with their hands up or whatever. If a sinner is ever to be saved, then they need to be drawn. And it's God that does the drawing. And he does it through the preaching of the gospel of Christ and him crucified. Let me just give you a couple of verses. John chapter 12 and verse 32. He said himself, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The Savior himself said a few chapters earlier in John chapter 6 and the words of verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him. I will raise him up at the last day. And dear loved one, you who are saved tonight, you didn't understand it, nor did I, the night when we were saved or the day we were saved. But what was happening was God was drawing us unto himself. There's many a time, certainly in my experience, I sat under the gospel, I walked out through the door saying, no! But then there was another night where that didn't happen. And that meant, uh, that was really when God drew us unto himself by the power of his Spirit. God does the drawing. They must be drawn. And if they're not drawn, they'll never come. They'll be lost. The men and women, that's when the sinner hears the call of God above the voice of the preacher. That's the drawing power of God. That's God speaking to you as an individual, no matter who else is in the meeting house tonight, speaking just to your heart, and you're hearing the voice of God unto your soul above my voice. And you know that we verse just reminds us of the solemnity, the solemnity of what it is to put off God's call. If God doesn't draw you, you'll be damned. You'll be lost forever. Behold, now is the day of God's salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. That's why God's people pray in the prayer meeting. And need to. 
that God might draw souls unto himself. What's the proof of God's love? It's in the fact that he's still calling souls unto him in salvation. He's still making a people willing in the day of his power. He did it to Saul on the road to Damascus. He just stopped and think, what was Saul? Who was he? He was a murderer. He was an accessory to murder of Stephen. He was a, a blasphemer. He was a wicked persecutor. But you know, God stopped him in his tracks. And he drew him unto himself. And God is yet calling in the gospel tonight to lost souls. Have you been drawn by his loving kindness? Do you love the Savior because he first loved you? Can you say it from the heart tonight? I tell you, you ought to. You ought to. Because I want to read just a wee word in closing. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says this. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. Let him be anathema. means let him be cursed. Maranatha. The Lord's coming. Let him alone. Just let them be in their own. And the Lord comes back, he'll deal with them. I tell you, there's, there's a solemn verse. The proof of God's love. Not only in the giving of Christ, not only in the call of God in salvation, but also in the comfort that he gives which is so contrasting to this world. How contrasting? Well, Jeremiah 30, just look across the page, verse 14. All thy lovers hath forgotten thee. They seek thee not. While the love of the world waxes and wanes and fades, God's love is always the same, and he does not stop loving his people. He says, yet I will not forget thee. Isaiah 49. I'll not forget thee. Is that a wee word to a soul tonight that's cold of heart? You forgot the Lord. You wandered into Bypath Meadow. Oh, it may not be that you're in the dens of iniquity, but it may be you've left off reading that precious word of God. It may be that you haven't got into the quiet place for prayer. And your Savior says tonight that I will not forget thee. He still loves you. Dear loved one, come and experience the love of God in Christ tonight for your soul and be saved. And you know, God will love you. And there's a powerful thought. He'll love you as much as he loves his own son. And that's some thought to go home with. That's how much he loves his children. For in salvation, you will be in a blessed union with the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Truly, here's God's love note to your soul. What will you do with it? May God help you to accept Christ. Experience that love of God to your soul tonight for his own name's sake. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. 485, I'll just sing in closing.
Let me aside, O Savior, of thy wondrous love to me, the love that brought thee down to earth to die in Calvary. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. 485. Let's stand as we sing. Lord, we thank thee that thou hast said where thou hast loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Praise the Lord for each one in the meeting house tonight that can say those words from experience. Thou hast loved us 
thou hast drawn us to thyself. Pray, Lord, that thou might yet draw souls unto thee tonight. Speak gone yet, Lord, when the preacher's voice is silent. Well, accept the Father, draw them, they cannot come. O oh, Lord, will thou do thy work? Melt the heart. Pray, Lord, that men and women would recognize young people too. That God has proved his love over and over again. And proved it especially in the giving of Christ be our Savior. Oh, make us understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant for thee, God's Holy One, to bear away my rotten sin. Speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us in thy blessing now. We ask these things in our Savior's name for God's eternal glory. Amen.